All right, folks, welcome to Theology Unplugged. We have actually kicked out of the room Michael and Sam. You know what? Sometimes there are just certain conversations that Michael and Sam, you know, it's just they're just not cool enough to be in the room. And this is one of those days. And uh, so JJ and I are here because we're the cool ones, right? Yeah, we actually, you know, we don't wear sweater vests. We, uh, <laughs> right. we, we, know, we know what an MP3 is. You know? That's right. Sam is probably the only pastor in the nation that is surrounded by hipsters, but he's still holding out the sweater vest, which you got to love that about Sam. Uh, but we are excited to have at the Credo House Derek Webb, and he is joining us. And so the three of us are just going to have an unplugged conversation. We really have no idea what we're going to talk about, we're, <laughs> but we just hit record and see what's going to happen. Uh, but Derek, it's great to have you here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, uh, thanks. So Derek, if somebody bumps into you and say, hey, what do you do for a living? What do you usually tell people? Oh, I... um. What do I tell people nowadays? It changes month to month, um, depending on what I'm working on. But on the whole, I tell people I'm a folk singer. Um, but but then, you know, there's a handful of things I that I. It used to be a simpler answer than it is nowadays. I mean, for yeah. for the last 20 years, I've done nothing but played music. That's been my job. You know, since we started Cademans in 1992, um, 10 years in that band, 11 years solo. So I mean, it, you know it. That's been very squarely. I feel like I have gifts very concentrated in just a couple of areas. So okay. I'm, I'm not good at very many things. And so that's usually a pretty easy question to answer. But in the last five or six or seven years, um, my entrepreneurial work has kind of started to eclipse the other work that I've done. Um, uh, the, the main thing has been um, Noise Trade, which is a company I started five years ago and that I'm currently the president of. So I run that company three days a week, Mondays, thir- Wednesdays, Thursdays, I'm the CEO of Noise Trade, and then Tuesdays, Fridays, weekends, I tour as a musician, um, which is not working out well. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm probably, uh, but I do probably more of that kind of work nowadays than I even really do music. Yeah. So... Well, and JJ and I were just talking about our. Uh, well, JJ was talking more than I was, but we both. Uh, That's have, typical. <laughs> we we both appreciated your music and your, uh, you. just your art and and the way that uh, that God has wired you and used you. Uh, but it's kind of interesting because uh, I was I was becoming a believer and in college, right when Cademans I think mm. was was really becoming pretty well known mm. and everything. Uh, but it seems like now I I mentioned your name and said, hey, Derek Webb's going to be at the Creed House, Derek Webb, but then. When I mentioned noise trade, people are like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, and which is really interesting. Yeah. You know, do you, do you get that more now, do you think? Um, I don't really know because I don't, I just, you know, I spend my time in Nashville with my head down into a laptop yeah. working on it. I don't, yeah. I don't really talk to many people about it. Yeah. But, um, I mean, what I do know though is, you know, we, we, you know, noise trade gives away, you know, well over half a million full albums a month, 650,000 full albums a month. And we've got a million people on an email list that we curate our features out to twice a week. So it's a lot. I know there's a lot of folks who we're interacting with and a lot of people who are getting music. And it's, a you know, it's so I know that that a lot of people must, you know, mustn't, you know, uh, clearly, you know, there's a lot of folks who are interacting with what we're doing, but I don't really talk to many of them yeah. like I don't really know and it's not like I, I've got like a noise trade hoodie that I wear or something <laughs> so uh, so what, what makes you kind of most passionate right now in your life is it that your your goal in life is to build a big empire or what is it that <laughs> of course. Yeah, what is um, it what is it that's really just uh, making you mm-hmm. lay your head down at night and be like wow that was a great day yeah um wow that's that's a that's a that's a heavy question I I, 
I think um, this is theology unplugged. It is. So, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I, I think. I think. Um, I really think a lot of that entrepreneurial work is. It's really where my head is at right now. I mean, like I. I'm really wired for that. I'm not your typical artist personality in terms of being like a really abstract, poetic abstract type thinker. I'm a very rational detail, hyper detail processor. And um, so I'm probably more wired for the business side than I am the other, um, although I can fake it pretty well. And so, um, you know, I have more in common with my manager than I have with, with any other artist on his roster. You know, um, so and I really, I love the business side and, and it's not just business though. It is creative. It's creative work for me because, you know, the secret to ha- having a, a good sustainable career in this business, uh, is learning how to apply your create your creativity, not only to the writing and recording of your records, but also to the marketing and the, dist- and the distributing of your records, like applying your creative muscles to the whole business mm-hmm. and being a fully integrated creative person mm. is how you really, because you're not owed a career. No, you're not entitled to a career. No one owes it to you. Yeah. So you really have to learn how to run a small business, which is what this is. Blue collar music is running a small business. Yeah. So if you can't wrap your head around that and learn some new skills and learn how to do some of those things, even in the best jobs in the world, and this is one of them, you have to occasionally learn some new skills and you have to learn how to do some things. You have to do occasionally some things that are not your favorite thing to do in order to facilitate you doing the thing that is your favorite thing to do, right? Yeah. So, um, and so for me, what's funny is the learning, the adapting, the adaptation, um, and the, um, the, the necessity that turned into invention for me, um, especially in the case of noise trade, just proved to be something I enjoy just as much as the music itself, mm. you know? Mm. So I really like applying my, myself to the, to the work Noise Trade's doing mm. and dreaming up the future of what we're working on. And I love that work. Mm. And, I, and, and I could probably be doing it five days a week. I really am doing it five days a week. Yeah. But um, I'm doing it 10 days a week. But um, So that's really the thing that I feel like is, has the most of my attention right now. Mm. Um, so... But I'll always make records and write songs and make records. I mean, I'll always do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but going into the future, I don't really know what those proportions will continue to look like because, mm-hmm. I'm, as I said, I'm 21 years into this job. This is not a job you do forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like being a professional athlete. You just don't do it forever, and you don't do it the same way forever. And so for me, it feels like a very natural evolutionary, evolutionary step for me as a creative person to move further into my work with, for instance, with, with Noise Trade or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of, you know, I'm just kind of letting that happen organically and just kind of following the coordinates as I go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think that's a great, you know, you're kind of encompassing a lot of times like how people think like, wow, look at that guy on the stage that, um, you know, maybe in a really heavy handed way is is representing Christ or maybe in a more subtle way. Uh, but look at that guy on the stage. You know, he must really be honoring God with his life and everything. But, you know, me in the cubicle, you know, it's mm-hmm. harder for me to honor God because, you know, it's me and my keyboard or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's interesting how you're showing like, you know, how, how do you kind of navigate that? How do you process that just uh, in, in a theological way and 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 also you know i think like even noise trade is a good example of that you have people that you have hymns on there but then you have other people that are probably just as strong believers uh, but they're not quite as heavy-handed with their mm-hmm. lyrics you know too and yeah. are both of them honoring god as much mm-hmm. uh, the person behind the camera as in front of it yeah and then we also we've had radiohead and we've had Sheryl crow and mm-hmm. we've had i mean you know we yeah. we are we are um agnostic 
yeah. uh, as a platform. You mm -hmm. know, we and, and I mean, it's a free. I mean, any artist can come sign up and put their music up, and we don't in yeah. any way monitor that. You know, yeah. we have fifty or so people sign up every day, um, and you know, then we also kind of go out and really curate and bring in good stuff, and we we actively go pursue certain artists too and pitch them our model. But yeah, um, so that has been interesting. Although all my partners in the business. Mm -hmm. Are guys who follow Jesus? It's not, you know, nor could it possibly be a Christian business. There just is no such thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've whether I don't I've said this before, but I think it's helpful. I'm going to say it again, or at least it's disruptive in a in a way I think is helpful. Is that the word Christian, when applied to anything other than a human being, is a marketing term. Mm -hmm. and it's just all, and, and that's that's all that it is. It's not more than that. It cannot be more than that. The word Christian, when applied to anything other than people, cannot mean saved or redeemed. It does not mean that. Um, not just for, by virtue of it being applied, mm -hmm. um, right, true, good, beautiful. It doesn't mean any of those things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, marketing terms are super helpful. It's not that it's not helpful. It is. Um, it helps us to find our way in culture to the things we wish to consume. Um, it's just, it's just like a signpost on top of something to kind of say, if you're interested in this, come and check this out. But it cannot mean what we typically mean for it to mm -hmm. in terms of being safe, uh, and you know, and right, true, good, and beautiful. It, it just doesn't. It just doesn't mean that. Um, there just there's no such thing as Christian, you know, education, Christian music, Christian art, Christian retail stores, Christian radio, Christian theme parks, and bubblegum. There just is no such thing. There's mm -hmm. just no such thing. Well, Derek, Tim, and I were talking about this earlier today. Martin Luther famously pointed this out, where he's reading all these passages in Scripture where God's taking credit for making sure people get fed, mm -hmm. that they're safe when they go to bed at night, and mm -hmm. he's going, "Well, how is he doing that? Well, he's doing it through people." Mm -hmm. So Luther finally concluded, well, the, the lowliest milkmaid is the fingers of God. Yes. She brings the milk. And so that's right. That's a view that says, well, how do you be a Christian airline pilot, land the plane? Right. You know, that you use your the, gift the, way, the, way you do, the way you do something Christianly, first and foremost, is to do it with excellence. Do it with excellence. Yeah. yeah. Rule number one is be great. Yeah. I mean, in my, in my business, the one rule you cannot break is rule number one, and that's be great. Yeah. Actually provide yeah. them something that, that enriches their life. Yeah. And, you know, all of that in the context of the fact that there is not a secular molecule in the universe, mm -hmm. right? So that distinction just isn't on the whole helpful. So you're saying that you're not a huge fan of Plato, is that right? <laughs> is this like an like no, my kids love it. bashing Plato type thing? No, my kids love it. <laughs> I'm just joking. I just got that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but, you know, so, th so for me, having said that, to go even further in terms of, as you said, framing it somehow theologically, like I, I think there's a really important distinction to be made between a professional singer-songwriter and a vocational minister. Now, what I do uh, when I get up and I play music and I make records is not ministry. It's not vocational ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say ministry, ministry doesn't happen by way of the work I do. But that is not my intention. That is not the framework by which I make decisions about the work I do. My work is to write and perform songs with excellence. That is my job. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. I'm a professional singer and songwriter. Um, now, my brother, for instance, is a doctor, family practice doctor uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's also a follower of Jesus. Um, he, when he, he, does not put, he does not feel the burden of putting Bible verses on his tongue depresses to justify providing health care for people. He goes to work every day not to minister to people or to share the gospel with people, but rather to go in and provide, use his gifts with excellence, right? Mm -hmm. To feel God's pleasure when he runs, as the runner in Chariots of Fire would say. Um, doing the thing he's made to do and doing it with excellence. Um, and 
So he doesn't show up every day to do ministry, but if there are opportunities that come up in his job to do ministry and to answer questions and to, to minister to people, does he take those opportunities? Absolutely. He wants to be ready and he wants to, you know, seize those, of course. But that's not why he goes to work every day. And nor is it the reason I go to work every day. Now, ministry opportunities, exactly like my brother, come up in my job. And I want to take advantage of those and I want to see them, have eyes to see them and I want to be present. But that's not, you know, the reason I do my job. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that's an important distinction is because musicians, especially artists, especially, there's a lot of confusion on this point. Mm-hmm. Because what you have is you have, let's just, just for instance, you have like rock, you know, rock musicians, guys who are just really gifted, you know, artists and, and musicians and they play rock music. But they've got the church telling them that it's not a good or not the best maybe use of their gifts mm-hmm. unless they are retrofitting spirituality into the music they're making Mm -hmm. and putting an overt spiritual kind of, you know, message on it to justify their doing it, that it would at least be better if they tried to retrofit some spirituality into it. So they kind of have that pressure on them and that confusion. And then you've got this other guy who is maybe gifted to lead worship, um, which in my opinion is a local pastoral position. That is not a thing you travel around the country and do. That is a local pastor. How can you provide language for people to confess the things that they need and wish to believe if you don't? If you're not there pastoring them and know their stories, it's a that's a local uh, pastoral position in my opinion. Um, but you have that guy looking at that band and seeing the fans and the traveling and all the rock and it's awesome. And so he kind of wants to be like those guys. They kind of feel like they need to be like him. The net result about all their confusion, one being called to vocational ministry, one being called to professional musicianship, mm-hmm. is you have you wind up with rock bands that don't really rock and worship bands that don't really worship. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because the kingdom cannot be built unless well no, yes, it absolutely can, but the kingdom is built, in fact, by bands rocking with excellence. That is a kingdom building profession, mm-hmm. believe it or not, and with um, worship leaders focused on their local community providing that language for those people to confess the things that they need to and wish to believe and wish to believe in those moments. They need to know what those stories are in order to know how to curate the songs and what to put in there. So it's important that we make these distinctions and that, and that nobody feels self-conscious about the particular role that they play. You know, I would have these people also, you know, like everybody just, you know, sometimes you can be so far around the other side of the kingdom building on that side that you can't even see or understand the work this guy's doing on this side. We have to just trust that we're diverse, diverse members of one body Um, and even if I don't understand totally the way or the work that you're doing, um, that, that you, that, that, that's not for me to call into question. It would arguably be sinful for us to be reaching the same conclusions about the work we're doing and how to do that work. Cause we're, cause we're not, we should not be homogenous group, you know, group of people, diverse members of one body. Every single word in that sense is important. Um, so we need to have the space and the focus Try to not be self-conscious about the fact that this is what we're gifted to do, made to do, wired to do, and we need to do it mm-hmm. and stay focused on it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why for me in my job, it's been really important to focus on that. Um, otherwise, you just don't know what you're doing, how to make decisions about what you're doing. A lot of our yeah. listeners are probably not aware of how recent some of these sort of massive shifts have come mm-hmm. in, in conservative Christians' thought. It was only 40 years ago that Chuck Gerard and Love Song were writing things for the church Mm -hmm. or Larry Norman, you know, made a rock record. And for conservative Christians, they didn't even know if you could redeem that genre (laughs) or that you could play a bass line in a way that would not lead someone to hell. So, (laughs) you know, that feels like distant history for our generation. But Mm -hmm. for our parents, they were wrestling with these things, feeling guilty with things that were theologically neutral, 
Yeah. But that was new. Right. And, and, and Tim and I have been talking about this. You know, uh, a Christian cellist or a Christian painter doesn't feel the same pressure that you were talking about. Let's just go ahead and call it peer pressure. Mm-hmm. That, that the way they write art, you know, the poet gets left alone, the painter gets left alone, but the Christian singer-songwriter, right. the, you know, his lyrics from album to album are being read to sort of chart his spiritual health, you know? Yes. Well, he talked about Jesus less in this record. I wonder if he's falling away from the faith. Nobody would do that with a Christian sculptor. And I think maybe it's because your materials are not chisels and stone, they're words. That's and right. so then people say, well, one, rock used to be the devil's and we took it back. So let's prove that, you know, and, and mm-hmm. two, um, you're using words. Wow, you could actually probably do a lot of good with words. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you could even help my troubled teenager and mm-hmm. talk to him about Jesus, mm-hmm. you know. And now all of a sudden your artistic freedoms are being constrained and micromanaged in the way that the sculptors never would be. Right. Yeah, so it's just, so there does feel like there's a little bit of a double standard there. But it's also like a huge, um, not everyone engages with sculpture, whereas all you got to do is get in your car and you can find something that you might call Christian radio with Christian music going on it. And if there is a such thing as Christian music... And that mu- and that that means more than just marketing. It's it actually is right, true, good, or beautiful, or it's redeemed or saved inherently. Then how could you argue against listening to anything else? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the secret of it is me being from Nashville, Tennessee, where all the sausage is made in terms of Christian art or whatever. Um, what I can tell you is, having been in it for twenty years, knowing a lot of the people who make this stuff. Here's what I can tell you for a fact: is that I am just as likely to lie to you or mislead you, even accidentally in my music than anybody else is. And somebody else is just as likely to tell you the truth. You know, was it, was it Schaefer who said all truth is God's truth? I mean, he's basically saying anywhere you interact with truth, if objective truth really exists, its origin mm-hmm. is with God. It's, it's always truth and beauty and things like that are always derivative. Even the person saying it or displaying it, even though they may move beyond to other conclusions, in moments that they find it, its origin is with God. All truth does come from God. All beauty is, is derivative from God. So someone else may possess it and handle it and even present it for a moment. And you can find it kind of all over the place. I don't think that God is up there waiting to see what we stamp, what we rubber stamp as Christian to choose what he might speak through. Yeah. Right. And for our listeners, I think, Derek, you're hitting on something really profound, which is this problem that... Um, Everything you just said implies critical engagement. What, mm-hmm. what happens now is people actually have to use their minds. They have to oh, evaluate what's good, true, and beautiful. Yeah. No. Yeah, dangerous, right? Push this too far. And I think a lot of times it's, you know, the, the Christian music industry as an industry was mm-hmm. driven by this fantasy of the average parent that I can send my kid in there with yes. 15 bucks and whatever they buy is okay. Right. And Leave your powers of discernment at the door. Right. That's right. Because everything here that's right. has been vetted it's for been your vetted. spiritual benefit. That's right. Which if you go in that store, yeah. you will see quickly that's right. that nothing can be further from the truth. That's right. So it's like this weird, like put, it's like, it's, it, it is, it's a putting your faith and your security into a marketing term yep. and yielding your powers of discernment. And I don't think Jesus would have us live in fear of anything, yeah. let alone the lack of an arbitrary marketing term. Um, and yet all the Christian radio stations that advertise that their music is, quote, safe for the whole family, that is a terrible advertisement for Jesus. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that, so I'm not know, sure what they're selling. If you don't use it, you lose it. And when you don't use an evaluative function in appreciating what's good, true, and beautiful, seeking to evaluate what's good, true, and beautiful, mm-hmm. then maybe there's no records in that store with cussing in them, but you might have records that are horribly narcissistic, that are horribly yes. man-centered, that yes. are horribly insipid. Yes. Because I've heard a lot of music on, on what you might call Christian radio that completely... completely 
completely misrepresent God's character, totally mi- misrepresent the, the condition of man. Um, and yet, here's the Christian you know, music. I would uh, submit to people that there are only two kinds of music, and that is good and bad. Mm-hmm. There are two kinds of art, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Try to engage with the stuff that's good. Try to stay away from the stuff that's bad. And is that subjective? Yeah, unfortunately. It's art, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. So there's not going to be super easy, hard lines to draw. You know, again, as you said, we're, we need the spirit. You know, we like rules. We don't like the spirit. Um, but this is an occasion where you need, you do, you need your powers of discernment. You need to think critically and you need the spirit. And that, so it's going to be a different answer for different people. Like something, you know, that, that might be really challenging and maybe really bad for one person really could be um, something that someone else could handle, in, in, you know, to a certain degree and, and have a certain ear to kind of discern and, and draw some, see, you know, draw something good from. And I, I don't know. So it's, it's tricky because people don't, it doesn't sell well, you know, you can't fit whatever that ethic is on a bumper sticker. And so it's hard to sell. I, I think this came to a head for me when I saw CCM magazine reviewing uh, Over the Rhine's double disc album, Ohio. Hmm. And they literally, at least they were honest. They put their cards on the table. And they said, this is the album of the year. In fact, we want to make it our album of the year. But because in 10 years of making records, this is the first time that Over the Rhine has put a cuss word in one of their records, which, by the way, they said they felt was necessary. It was a hymn. It was talking about longing for Christ's return because the world is so broken. This mm-hmm. world is too yeah. bleeped up for any firstborn <laughs> right. son. How, you know, what is it like to bring a child to this world? Jesus, come back. It had these deep spiritual themes of redemption, longing for heaven. And CCM's going, but unfortunately, because of our constituency, we can't make this our album of the year. And, and here's where they're right and they're wrong. They're caught between a, a rock and a hard place. It's an incredibly edifying album for a 28-year-old. Nobody would probably give it to their 9-year-old. No. But that doesn't make it bad art. It just means it requires discrimination and discernment and, exactly right. and context. Yeah, that's exactly but right. But CCM was, was shackled from ever being able to give things a valuative hmm. praise in a context. It mm-hmm. has to, if it's not good for your 9-year-old, it's not good. Well, and so if you're going to – and that sword cuts several ways because if you're going to say that, you're, you're most certainly have to apply that to the Bible itself. Like, it amazes me. Like, my first record didn't get carried in a lot of Christian retail because of language. And yet, Bibles aren't behind the counter. They're right out there on the shelves for anybody. There's even little kid versions. I mean, is, are Ezekiel and Hosea not in those Bibles? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, there's hard word in there. It's complicated. It's not easy, man. Are the Psalms in there? I mean... The Bible is not PG. It's yeah. not. And I know that's kind of a cliche, but it's like, it's true. It's like, there, there, there is a context and a moment... Um, then when it's, an, when it's appropriate to bring certain things out and to focus on certain things and say certain things in a certain context, even with the Bible, that's true. That's right. In other words, it's not. we're not saying the Bible has potty words so we get to use potty words. What no. We're, what we're saying is there are themes that can only be grasped by a mature adult in Scripture, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's uh, discussions of rape and incest or the brokenness of a fallen world that I'm not going to talk about with my four-year-old daughter. Right. But, but I'm get up glad that Scripture that are, yeah. doesn't turn away from those things. Things, and mm-hmm. that scripture speaks to those things and presses in mm-hmm. to the mess because we all know the mess is there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. So it does provide that language. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it seems to me like a lot of this conversation is kind of working around kind of like leaning into legalism and then leaning maybe too far into freedom in Christ sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. But I think, though, uh, and because we're not haters of CCM as well, at least mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more ironic than you were, JJ, in your conversation there. <laughs> I uh, thought but, they were very honest. Is, no, I yeah, liked your comments because no, no, yeah, I know those people. I think They're I, good I, people. I, I, they were honest. They felt caught. I think yeah. they did what they could right. do, which yeah. was say we love it, but we can't get yeah. behind it for these reasons. And I think what's great, though, is that, and 
and you know we interact with a lot of people here at the Credo House who kind of struggle around this issue. Some denominations in our area that are against a lot of music and different aspects. But um, you know, I, I think Paul is a good example here because mm-hmm. Paul. He at least knows enough of secular music, quote unquote, to quote them on Mars Hill, right? Right, to the, exactly. To, to the Areopagus. Um, and, but unfortunately, sometimes, and this is what I, I think I thought that I want to leave uh, you guys with there listening to this, is that are you equipping your kids? Are you equipping your family? Are you equipping people uh, so that they would actually understand the yearnings of your neighbors, basically? Are you understanding what is moving the heart of people around you so that as their hearts are being moved, you can help move them as an ambassador of Christ to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and making very clear that what our goal in life is not to make everyone listen to Christian music. Our goal is to make everyone listen to Christ by bowing their knee to him. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, justification by faith, sola fide, you know, we're not sola Christian music, we're sola fide. And and we want to make sure that that's our focus. And so, and and we all know of of Bible colleges, we know of places where Mm -hmm. they would kick Paul out of that school for knowing that poetry, you know, right. and and we're having we're, it in his and, bag with him. Yeah, and so we're wanting to be dis- discerning here. So, so I, I challenge you to say, are you equipping yourself and those around you to know what is the poetry of our society? And what I love about what you're doing, Derek, is you're kind of creating the avenue for that poetry to come up with mm-hmm. noise trade as well. So you're you're not only listening and not only encouraging a great poetry mm-hmm. or art or music, but you're also creating the avenue for people to be known. And mm-hmm. I think as Christians, that's entirely valuable mm-hmm. because it's helping us as well to be better ambassadors for mm-hmm. Christ because we're better able to hear what those around us who are trying to reach for mm-hmm. Christ are saying. So, And, so and not only using that, it as a tool with, with which to do that, yeah. which is a really valuable. I and mean, that's a clear, as you said, yeah. that's how Paul used it. But beyond that, even just to feel at liberty to enjoy it. You Wait, know, j- 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 are you serious? I can do that. J- j- just to be, yeah, just to be. You know what I'm saying, like, just okay. to be at liberty to enjoy music and poetry and wine and th- all the things that God's made and declared very good, although broken for now and being redeemed. And you know, yeah. Um, but it's like you're at liberty to enjoy the, you know, creation and what God's made and poetry and all these things we're talking about, and art and music and all this stuff. Like, don't be fearful of it. G- go forth. You know, you know, and enjoy your life and enjoy what God's made and be discerning about it and, and be cautious if, if need be and you know, be discerning on behalf of little ones and other people who, you, you know, so don't be reckless and cavalier, but, you know, go into it saying like, I want to absolutely lean into and know and enjoy the world that God's made. And this is all part of it. All these things and all these people who made all this stuff, they're no more or less broken than I am. The people who made the thing that were now, you know, thrown in a pile and set into fire, like they're no different than me. And and their intentions behind what they've made is no one different than mine. If I happen to speak truth, there's truths communicated somehow through what I've made. It's just as amazing to me as when it comes out anywhere else that, where that was unintentional. Like, I, as I said, I'm just as likely to lie and mislead people as anybody is, you know, even accidentally. So, um, you know, I would I would encourage people to first move in to enjoy it. And just and and then to look for those opportunities to say, man, like this is just a, a really profound moment of truth in this song or in this poem or in this movie that I saw. Maybe not. I wouldn't recommend the whole thing, but this moment is something that could really be, you know, could it could be like it helped me tell a real a narrative and help me really put you know a narrative kind of arc on a story the story of my life or the story of culture and creation and that might you know make this make sense to somebody. I mean, you know, there's so. There's a lot of good reasons to do it. 
you know. This is Theology Unplugged. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you all next time. Theology Unplugged is presented by the Credo House. For more information on the Credo House, visit www.credohouse.org.